But we're talking about Jesus Christ's power over death. This is part two, actually. Next week will be part three, so don't miss that. And the title for today is Dead Asleep. I hope after all that worship, nobody here is dead asleep. All right? But that's the title today, and it's going to make sense in a little bit when we get to it. But we're going to be in Mark 5, 37 to 39. And we've been focusing in the last Mark 4 and 5 on Jesus Christ's power. Jesus Christ's power. And we talked about his power over nature, over the supernatural, over sickness, and now even over death. And he's teaching his disciples and us some very important lessons on faith. Will we, how will we react to life's crises? How will we react to life, life in general? All life is a crisis, right? Uh, a crisis. How will we react to the crises of life? Will we react in fear or faith? Fear or faith. And last week we saw how uh, Jesus, how J- Jairus had come to Jesus to heal his daughter. And the girl was very sick. And while Jesus took a detour, remember we took the detour there, and she died which was a huge trial of faith now for Jairus. Get the CD if you weren't here last week. They're all in the back. Help yourself or, like I said, go on the podcast. But today is part two because now we're going to see, after she does die, she's not just sick anymore, she's dead, Jesus has power over death and how we should view death as Christians. We look at death a whole different way than how the world looks at it. And this is a really important lesson on that, how we should view it as Christians. And to start off, I found another interesting article I saved. Actually, when I was in Connecticut, I cut this out of the paper a long time ago. And listen to this story, because it shows, paints a picture for today. It, the title is, news article, Dead Patient Opens Eyes. When Frank Link approached his father's hospital bed and grasped the man's hand, wait, let me make sure I read this right. When Frank Link approached his dead father's hospital bed and grasped the man's hands, his eyes opened and he looked at me and I almost had a stroke. Link 40 and other relatives were told Friday by the hospital that Kenneth Link, 67, hospitalized for hip surgery, had died. Link drove to the hospital unaware that a nurse had telephoned again to report that there was a mix-up in the paperwork and that his father was simply sleeping. (laughs) She wasn't dead. He wasn't dead. He was sleeping. She said the telephone number for the family's home was switched accidentally with that of another patient who had died. Obviously, the hospital is very sorry, spokeswoman Mary Field said. It's a terrible human error. So his dad wasn't dead. He was sleeping. He had a little mix-up there. And when he gets to the hospital... You saw what happened. He opens his eyes and he wasn't dead. Now, we're going to see today that Jesus brings back somebody back from the dead who really was dead. And we're going to see that we are just like this person, just like the guy who was sleeping in the hospital, and just like the little girl. We're going to see that we're going to see ourselves in this picture because it's a picture of what death is like for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for the exciting ministry opportunities that we can be praying about and giving to. Lord, I know every one of us <clears throat> carries many trials into church on Sunday morning. Lord, we pray that you would transform these trials into faith-building opportunities in our life. And we pray that your spirit would speak to us through your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... The passage, Mark 5, and I think we'll just pick up with verse 35, Josh. We'll just read 35. 
Mark 5:35, where he says, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Remember, we talked about that last week. We focused on that last week. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they all laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So what's, I'm just going to focus on a couple verses today because they just, that's all I could get through. It's amazing here. He says, verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in to them and said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. We'll finish the rest next week. Don't miss next week. It's powerful. But here he, we see in verses 37 and 39, he only takes Peter, James, and John. When Have we seen that before? The transfiguration, right? When he went up on the mountain, the transfiguration, he only takes the three. Not because they're any better than the other apostles, but they were to become leaders of the church, different parts of the church. And so he's obviously preparing them, but they're no better than any of the other the 12 apostles. They're dodos just like the rest of them and just like us, but God's preparing them for a purpose. And not all, not all the... The 12 were ready for this revelation either at this time. In fact, we know one would never be ready for it. Who is that? Judas was blocked from this, from, from ever being ready. Another key is biblically there always had to be two or three witnesses to anything to affirm the truth of it. And this was affirmed by two or three witnesses, the, the three apostles, and also the mother and father, of course. But uh, that, that was also very important biblically to establish the truth of something. There couldn't be somebody who, who was all by themselves and went in and got these golden tablets and an angel appears to them. And, but by, uh, you know, like, just like with the Mormon religion, there can't be just one guy who got this. There had to be two or three witnesses, so it had to be true. And Peter dictated to Mark. Mark got his information, the story of the gospel from Peter. So this is right where we're getting it from. And they go in there and there's commotion and wailing. Just loud wailing. Everybody's crying. It's crazy. Wait till you hear the rest of the story and the crying next week. I'm saving that for next week. But when someone died in this culture, in the, palace, the culture here in Israel, professionals would descend like vultures. This is where it's coming from. The, the professionals would descend. They would know somebody was sick. They would know what's going on. And there was professional wailers. They would descend like vultures. They'd come in and work the crowd up into a frenzy. And the whole time they had their hand out. Because the more they got things going, the more they expected. You know, a bigger tip for, for getting everybody crying and, and really upset and sad. It cra sounds crazy, doesn't it? But same thing today. We see the same thing happening. In fact, I had a friend who was telling me the story recently that they had a, a loved one pass away, I think it was a parent, and they said they went to the, the church they were part of and said, uh, we'd like to do the funeral. And so they called them in, and this, this 
clergy person, sat him down and went through the street. No, no compassion, no empathy, no nothing. Just all of a sudden started talking and said, okay, this is what it will cost to, this is how much it will cost to use a sanctuary. Uh, if you want to uh, have someone sing, it will cost as much. Someone to play the organ. If you want me to share a homily of some kind, this is how much I'm going to charge. Went through the whole list. person stood up and said, thanks for all the compassion and never went back, obviously. But that's that same thing. You know, still a money-making business, right? Uh, so, but this is what I want to focus on today. Jesus says the child is not dead, but asleep. Now, to the parents, this little girl was dead. To the people wailing and crying, this little girl was dead. But to Jesus Christ, who has power over death, she was only sleeping. Only sleeping. You see, Jesus can wake us up anytime. If we die here on earth and, and we're in a coffin, Jesus can wake us up anytime. We see it here in the story here. We see it many times in the Bible. There are even well-documented stories coming out of different countries where, and this is where you see more of the miracles happening, where there's no Bible. There's no Christian witness. You still see the New Testament-like miracles in these places, but there's not a Bible yet because that's the proof. We have the Bible. We should be able to, by faith, believe what we're reading here. But where there's no Bible, you see this, and there's well-documented stories of, of Christians gathering around a, a coffin and praying in these villages and the person being resurrected and the whole village becoming converted to Jesus Christ. Whole villages coming to Christ because of this. Now, that's the proof. <laughs> you know, that's the proof that, that Jesus did this kind of miracle. Jesus is not limited to healing sick people which is awesome. Jesus can do anything. He has that resurrection power. And it, it and it's, it's, it's even happens sometimes now. Not every time, but sometimes now. But even if there's no miracle here on earth and someone is resurrected, we're still not really dead. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if there's been that time when you came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin, so that I could be forgiven by your Father. And I put my faith in Jesus and I give my life to you. If you've taken that step of faith, you don't, you, you don't die. We just fall asleep. That's all that happens. As Christians, we ju we're just asleep. Someday Jesus will wake us up. Christians don't die. We just fall asleep. It's all over the Bible. Acts 7, one of the first martyr of the New Testament. Acts 7, we're talking about Stephen being martyred. And listen to what it says here in Acts 7, 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. That's what happens to Christians. We, we fall asleep. That's why when you go to a Christian funeral, I've been to both funerals many times, Christian funeral, non-Christian funeral, and, and the difference, why is a Christian funeral so different? Because we have hope. We're sad. We grieve just like everybody else, but, we're, but, but we have hope. We have hope that, that this person who is a Christian just fell asleep. And by the time we get to the funeral, they're already awake. They're not sleeping anymore. They're already awake. 
We know that when we die, our spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus Christ. Now, some churches, they teach there's this soul sleep, and just like a sci-fi movie, you know, someone falls asleep, Planet of the Apes, they fall asleep for thousands of years on their spaceship, then they woke up, and everybody's gone, and it's a new world, right? Well, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there's no such thing as soul sleep. When we die, our spirit goes immediately, if we're a Christian, immediately to be with Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Luke 23, 42 to, uh, 42 to 43. The, the thief says to him, one of the thieves, just one, the other one didn't get to go to be with Jesus. But the one said in verse 42, he said, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, our spirits go immediately to be with Jesus Christ. And someday at the second coming, our spirit is going to get a new body. At this, when we die now, before the second coming, the, we are just in a spirit form. But when Jesus comes, we're going to get a brand new body to live in. One that, one that will never die again. One that... Uh, it's the old body, just this body that's left. Somehow God's going to bring all the molecules back together and he's going to resurrect this old body. No matter where we've died and where it's gone and what's happened, it's going to all be resurrected. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it brings it all out. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51, start with 51. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Once again, he's saying some people aren't going to sleep. Those who are here when, at the second coming are not going to die. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. So those who are here, when, when whether this is the rapture or second coming, we're not going to get into that argument today. But, but when Jesus comes again for us, those of us who are, who are still are Christians, still alive, will be changed immediately into our new, new bodies. We're not going not to sleep, not going to die. But those who have gone before us, their bodies are going to be resurrected, reunited with the spirit that is already with Jesus, and that's where it's going to be. But here's the scary part. That's if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. But without faith in Christ, we're not going to experience sleep and new life. We're going to experience two deaths. Two deaths, the Bible teaches. One death happens when you die here on earth. That's the first death. But the second one is even scarier. It's a spiritual death, which is, a, which is well, let me read it to you. Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, verse, start with verse 11. It says this. I lost my place here. I'm sorry, Revelation 20. Did I give you the wrong one, Josh? Okay, Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in it, them. And each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the, that the second death is a spiritual, eternal separation from God in hell. But we don't have to fear the second death. 
We don't have to fear the second death because back in the beginning of Revelation, this is the end of Revelation, back in the beginning of the Revelation, John appears, I'm sorry, Jesus appears to the Apostle John with a promise. In Revelation 1.17 it says this, When I saw him, this is John talking, When I saw him, and the him is Jesus here, the, the resurrected, ascended Jesus, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The resurrected, ascended Jesus Christ holds the keys to death and hell. He holds the keys. How did he get them? He took them. He took them. In Hebrews 2, in Hebrews 2, it talks about how he took them away. In Hebrews 2, verse, uh, verse uh, 14, start with verse 14, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Who had the power of death? The devil had the power of death. He had them. But the Son of God, it says here, the Son of God came in human form so that he could die as a substitute in our place because he was sinless. He was the sinless substitute in our place. He came in human form to die for us to what? To free us from the devil's power. We were all under his power because of sin. The first time that you sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, they turned the planet over to Satan. They gave him the power of of death. We became prisoners of war to Satan. This became one giant prisoner of war camp spiritually to to Satan. He had the power over death there, here. We were under his power because of sin. Every time we sin, we put ourselves under that power. And as a result, it says in Hebrews 2 that we were all living in fear of death. If you've ever studied archaeology and, and, and all the different cultures, how they've dealt with death, they mummify people and they bury them with all their stuff and all the superstitions that accompany it. The world from the beginning has feared death. Many of us have feared death. We all have, if we have any kind of brain in us, right? It's, it's scary without Jesus Christ. Everybody fears death. But we don't have to fear death anymore. It's, it's very similar to the, the movie uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anybody see The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? If you haven't watched it, it's a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about. You know, what, the, the evil witch, how she had power over the planet, and, and how Aslan, the lion, came, Jesus came. And it's a really beautiful picture. A really beautiful picture of what I'm talking about here. Watch it if you haven't seen it. But what Jesus did is he came and he broke Satan's power on the cross. In fact, in Colossians 3, in Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians 2, did I get it right? Yeah, 2.13. In Colossians 2.13 it says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your, of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code, talking about the law here, canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public 
spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus Christ broke Satan's power over us on the cross. He took the law, the, all the laws that we've broken, God's perfect, holy, just law that we've broken, he took the law and the justice of punishment, he took it all on himself, all the punishment of this just law on himself, and by doing that, he disarmed Satan and his demons. See, Satan is a prosecuting attorney, and, and the demons are all his little help, helpers, you know. And, and he took what Jesus did is he, he disarmed Satan and the demons. How? The DA's evidence was eliminated. It was ruled inadmissible in court. God is the judge. And Jesus, our defense lawyer, ruled it all inadmissible in court. How? Because by nailing it to the cross. He took it out of Satan's hands and he nailed it to the cross. And he erased the proof against us by the blood of Jesus Christ. You talk about invisible, you know, the disappearing ink. Remember the disappearing ink we used to have as kids for the magic tricks? That's what Jesus did with the blood. He, he made our sins disappear because he paid for them himself. That's what he did. And by doing this, it says here he publicly humiliated Satan and these demons. How? By the cross. The cross publicly humiliated them. They never saw it coming. And something else that they never saw coming, the most destructive blow of all, was what was followed the cross. What followed the cross? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what totally sealed the deal, sealed the humiliation, sealed our victory. He proved he was the Son of God. He proved that he had power over death. Back to Revelation 1, verse 18. Remember what we read about? Jesus said, Revelation 1, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He proved he has the power over death. And we don't have to fear death anymore because we can share in his victory. We can share in his power by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. By putting our faith in him. Mark, back to Mark chapter 5. Remember what Jesus said to the woman who was, who was healed. In Mark 5.34, the woman who was healed of the bleeding, he said, your faith has healed you. And what did he say to the man in verse 36? Jairus, he said, don't be afraid, just believe. Belief and faith is the key for us to not fear. Do you fear death today? What if you found out that you had minutes to live? What if you stared death in the face? John Hoff was telling me on, the, uh, on his ride back from Boston, is John in here? Is he doing security? He's doing security. John was telling me that you know he was driving in a, a he's driving next to a big semi and the, the truck tire blew up right next right next to him, and he said he saw his life flash before his eyes. He's gonna be taking the train from now on. He said. He said that's enough. He fears driving, but he doesn't fear death. We, but do we? What if we? What if that happened to us? We're facing death. What if we found out we had a day to live, a month to live? Would we be afraid? We don't have to be afraid. Because number one, we cannot die until Jesus says it's time. Nothing can happen to us until Jesus Christ says this is time. And if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we never die. We just fall asleep. 
That's the hope that we have as Christians. We don't die. We only fall asleep. The proof is here with this little, with this little girl. We're going to see the rest of it next week. The proof is that all over the scriptures. The proof is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the many promises in the Bible. That's our proof. And so many, you hear people say all the time, I just, boy, I hope if, when I die, I just fall asleep. I, oh, I just, I just hope, I, you know, you hear that all the time, right? People say it all the time. And a lot of us have said it. I hope I just fall asleep and, and, and that's it. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, experience it. Well, we all hope that, but no matter how we die, it is what happens to us as Christians. We do fall asleep. We don't have to fear the pain. We don't have to be afraid. We, we do, this is what we experience. We do fall asleep. We go asleep, we fall asleep, and Jesus wakes us up instantly. All the people that we've grieved here at this church, that we've seen, that we've seen fall asleep in Christ. Remember Kelly. She's awake. Robert. He's awake. All the pain, all the trials, awake. And someday we're going to be awake too with him. Because we're going to get resurrected bodies that will never get sick, that will never get old, that will never die again, that will never grieve again. We're going to get these resurrected bodies. Real popular book out right now uh, was called Is Heaven, Heaven, Is Heaven for Real? Is that the Heaven for Real? Very popular and they're making a movie on it, it's going to come out, it's going to be really good, but a lot of people have asked me, is, is it true? Do you think this is true? I like to think it is, and it, there's a lot in it that could, could definitely be true, because it does describe very closely what the Bible talks about, but I really don't really know. But what I do know is that it doesn't matter if it's true or not, because we don't need this book. I plan to watch the movie and and, and going to enjoy it, and I, I think it's a great book three, but we don't need it to feel any better. Because why? We already have God's word. We already have his, the proof of his, Jesus Christ's resurrection. We already have the promises of Jesus Christ. So whether the book is true doesn't really matter because our faith is in God's word. And it's great when we hear these stories and it reaffirms what we already believe, but, it, but this is what's what we know for sure is what the Bible teaches. That we don't have to be afraid. Do you have that hope today? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? If you were to die, if you were to find out you have a minute to live, what would be your reaction? Would it be fear, or do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know for sure that you will never die, you will only fall asleep, to be, woke, to be reawakened by Jesus Christ? Do you want that hope? You can have it right now. Right where you are sitting right now, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and never have to fear anything again because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Right where you're sitting, just it's a, it's a prayer just between you and God. There's no exact prayer, but it's something like this. God, I, I believe your son Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sin. I repent of that sin.
ask you to forgive me for that sin because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus. Maybe here today, and you've already put your faith in Jesus, but God is speaking to us. His Holy Spirit is speaking to us. What controls our life? Does fear control our life? Even as a Christian, or does faith control our life? Faith in Jesus. When we're facing the storms of life, when we're facing spiritual attacks, when we're facing sickness or even death, do we hit the fear button, the panic button, or do we hit the button of faith, turning to Jesus, asking him for his mercy and grace with whatever we're facing? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would keep bringing this back to us all throughout this week, that our faith would grow. And Lord, I pray for each person, each one of us that is really going through a very tough trial, a struggle, a battle with sin, whatever we're going through, Lord, that you would give us extra mercy and extra grace and that your power would move in our life in a special way. Pray in Jesus' name.